Hugging Face, founded in 2016 by Clément Delong and Julia Chaumont, is an AI community favorite. Originally created to be an artificial bestie that you could chat with when your real friends weren't available, six years later, Hugging Face is the leading natural language processing or NLP startup with more than a thousand companies using their library in production, including Bing, Apple, and Monzo. Hugging Space has fostered a huge open source community that is an enticing hub for pre-trained deep learning models as well as served models. And while Hugging Face was initially mainly aimed at NLP, as of recently, it's expanding to machine learning more generally, including computer vision and reinforcement learning. CEO Clément Long is with me today to talk about the company's mission, its models, and his views on the overall AI landscape. Welcome to the show, Clément. Wonderful to have you here with us. So nice. It's so nice for the invitation. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it's it's so nice to meet you because actually, I mean, many guests I've met many times before, but in in our case, it's the first time we meet, and I'm so glad Richard Soka, our, our mutual friend, was able to uh, to connect us. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Maybe we'll start at a very high level. I know Hugging Face is a is a community favorite, and a lot of people know so much about Hugging Face already. But just you know, to get started at the highest level, uh, nevertheless, what is Hugging Face? Yeah, so at Hugging Face, we believe that machine learning is becoming like the new way of building technology. Right, it's it's uh, this Andrej Karpaty like software 1.0 versus software 2.0, and we've been lucky in this kind of like transition from software 1.0 to software 2.0 to become kind of like uh, the most popular platform for companies, researchers to host their machine learning artifacts, which are like uh, models and data sets. Uh, to be able to share them uh, between the team members, to collaborate on them, to evaluate them, and then ultimately to use use them in production, right? So a little bit what uh, like what GitHub has been for for software, right? Being this this platform where people host code, collaborate on code. We've become kind of like a similar platform, but for machine learning. And now, of course, machine learning gets used in many forms. I mean, some people use APIs, just served models. Other people want to use the actual trained model itself and download the model. Other people want to maybe just have the data the model was trained on. And so where where is Hugging Face in that spectrum? I mean, the interesting thing that we've uh, learned at Hugging Face is that the layer of abstraction that you want to pick uh, not only depends on the type of company, but also on where you are in your machine learning lifecycle. Uh, in the sense that when you starting building a new feature or a new workflow or a new product, you want to go for maybe like the simplest uh, level of abstraction for you. So maybe you're going to start with like an API, right? Or like with even like a demo. So for example, on the Hugging Face platform, on all the models, you have a way to try and test the model right away without writing any single line of code. Uh, and so that's really good for like the start of your project when we want to test a new model, test a new use case, test a new feature. And then progressively, as you mature in your uh, development of machine learning feature, 
then you want to have more control and you want to invest more resources, uh, for example, to optimize for inference uh, scale or latency uh, on your own infrastructure. So that's when you progressively move to more extensible parts of our stack. Uh, and, and sometimes you're going to use our open source libraries, uh, which, which have been amongst like the most, most popular libraries uh, out there. So what we're seeing from, from customers, from companies, from users, is that they usually move from different layers of abstractions depending on where they are in their machine learning journey in a way. Now, one thing that I'm always curious about with open source companies like Hugging Face, you're hosting all these open source models, which means that somebody can just come on and download a model and start using it, right? Uh, which, which is absolutely beautiful. And, and you can actually contribute models and see your models being used by others and so forth. But what does that mean for a company? If, if you are hosting these models, people come and take them, then aren't you just putting it, where are you getting paid? So what's interesting for us is that uh, if you look at, at the market, if you look at the startups, how, how they've been built, uh, the open source model for startups have definitely been validated in, in the last decades. If you look at very successful companies, you can see like uh, Mongo, you can see Elastic, you can see Confluent, which has been said by, by uh, Andreessen Horowitz as being kind of like the fastest growing company in terms of revenue ever based on an open source project. The, the thinking around it is by creating a lot of value for, for the ecosystem with, with open source, uh, you can get a level of adoption that is, is very insane, right? So like, for example, for Hugging Face, we have over 10,000 companies using us now uh, who have shared over 100,000 models, uh, half of them being, being public for, for everyone to use. And so you get really unprecedented kind of adoption. And then part of this huge adoption, there's always kind of like a, a fraction of these companies that are using it that are willing to pay. And sometimes it's for additional enterprise features, right? For like the largest enterprise companies that are using your platform. Sometimes it's because they're using your platform so heavily and they're so dependent on your, on your platform that they have some specific needs. And so what we learned from these successful open source companies uh, is that it's definitely like uh, viable for companies to have a very popular open source and generate enough revenue at the same time to be sustainable and to be very successful companies. It's even more true for a case like, like ours where we believe, you know, for solving machine learning and kind of like democratizing machine learning, it's something that we can't do on our own as kind of like a closed source individual company. Uh, we want to take an approach where we are very collaborative, open, and everyone can have like contribute with us to achieve this massive kind of like a milestone for, for humanity, which is the democratization of machine learning. It, it's been certainly wonderful for, for all machine learning practitioners to have to have such a hub where you can go find all the models and you don't necessarily have to train all the models yourself, which can be quite time consuming and so forth. There are also, as you said, companies using Hugging Face. And for what kind of things are they using Hugging Face? And would a consumer, maybe somebody not working in AI themselves, 
running to applications they work with or run into somehow that are under the hood actually powered by Hugging Face? Yeah, it would be actually hard uh, today for most people listening to this podcast to go one day without using some sort of feature that is powered by Hugging Face one way or another. Uh, just because machine learning really made its way basically everywhere. It's easy to miss it if, if you're not paying attention, but it's, it's been very impressive for, for the past, past few years. Uh, so some of the biggest kind of like uh, use cases that uh, if, everyone is using is, are, are things like search. You know, like now if, you, if you're using search, it's, it's heavily machine learning powered. Uh, so Bing for example, is, is a good example of a company that is using Hugging Face to make search better. If you're using uh, autocomplete, for example, you know, like uh, on LinkedIn, when you have like the quick replies when you're messaging, or for example, when you go on Gmail and you have like autocomplete, these are kind of like use cases that, that people are using all the time. When you're going on social networks, a lot of the newsfeed ranking a lot of like the moderation, like information extraction is powered by, by transformers. And now more and more, we're starting to see use cases outside of, uh, of text uh, for audio, for example, uh, when you're using um, kind of like a, a video call uh, platform that is going to transcribe uh, your course uh, or get information from, from your course. Um, when you're um, using kind of like a computer vision, for example, we have a startup called uh, Segment.ai that is, that is using us to do um, video segmentation and image segmentation to do automatic annotation uh, that is then using, used for, for other use cases. Um, so it's, it's very, uh, very widespread now in a lot of like different, different use cases. Uh, what, what we're seeing in the industry and with companies is that machine learning is definitely becoming like the default way of, of building technology, right? It's, it's almost like for the best in class companies, when they build a new feature, a new product, a new workflow, it's almost like they start with machine learning now. Um, and if it doesn't work, they fall back to this almost like old school way of doing software, writing like a million lines of code, very rule based. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been very exciting to see. Now, it turns out actually, Clem, that on the podcast, we haven't really had a guest who's done nearly as much work in natural language processing as you and Hugging Face have. And so I'd love to take the opportunity to kind of also zoom out from Hugging Face all the way to NLP. And I'm curious about your view on essentially, I mean, the last five years in natural language processing have been just crazy in terms of rate of progress, right? And you've been at the center of this with Hugging Face. Now I realize Hugging Face is expanding much beyond NLP at this point, but you were at the center of this right when it started. And I'm really curious about, you know, how you experienced this NLP crazy progression in the last five years and where do you see this go? Yeah, you're totally right. Uh, it's, it's been really, really insane in, in, in NLP. Uh, it all kind of like uh, basically started with the paper attention is all you need in 2017 and then BERT that, that came out a, a year later in, in 2018. 
and what uh, this new generation of architecture, right, the transformer models did is that they basically started to beat the state of the art on every single NLP tasks out there and every single benchmark. And you started to see uh, more and more pre-trained models appear, right? It started with BERT, but then then you got, you know, uh, GPT, you got Roberta, you got T5, this whole new generation of models that not only proved to be more accurate for NLP, uh, but also proved to be very easy for companies to, to use. And so it, it happened that just a few weeks after these uh, models were released, company, uh, thanks to Transformers, our open source library, thanks to the Hugging Face Hub, started to uh, use that in production for their use cases. Uh, like the ones I, I talked about, right? Like uh, for, for search, for information extraction, for text classification. And really quickly, you saw this loop between, you know, like the models getting better accuracy, getting better companies using them and seeing value from them and investing more into machine learning, into NLP to have better models. And, and it created kind of like this uh, very positive loop that completely changed the NLP landscape uh, and turned it from some sort of a niche, you know, machine learning topic, maybe three, four years ago to, to arguably the biggest machine learning domain today. And to the point that now transformer models that we've seen changing the NLP landscape are starting to make their way into, into other domains, right? Into, into speech, into vision, into reinforcement learning and, and, and much more. It's been a very, very fun moment to see. And it's been driven by, uh, mostly from, from what we've seen by, uh, open science, right? So scientists from, from all the best research labs really sharing research papers, uh, and open source, right? So scientists sharing, sharing their models, uh, openly, openly with the world. Uh, and, and I say that because, uh, uh, today, uh, there, there is this trend where uh, some labs um, are, are starting to do less and less open science and, and open source. So one, one kind of like uh, uh, remind that to, to everyone, because I think if, if we want to keep progressing as fast in the future, we have to make sure we understood that this progress has been brought by, by open source and open science. Absolutely. It always keeps amazing me how, how open science is especially anything in machine learning there is so much sharing even though you're right that there is now a bit of a trend of people not always open sourcing everything anymore which i guess ties into a whole related trend that some training of these models sometimes cost millions of dollars right like you, you, you to process all the data train your model millions of dollars and then just putting it out there I guess not everybody feels like after they paid a few million dollars to train their model to, to just put it out there for everybody else to just now have available for free. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of these models is that they can be a bit heavy to, to train, uh, but what they've been trained and you get like a pre-trained model, this model can be used in a lot of different use cases without any retraining. Or uh, when you want to kind of like do new tasks or new domains or, or even sometimes new languages, 
the what is called the fine tuning. So adapting this model for new new tasks, new domain, new language um, is much much cheaper, right? That's that's the beauty of the underlying technique for it, which is called transfer learning, right? You basically go from a very large pre-training to very very small uh, fine tuning. So what's really interesting in the ecosystem is that even though like the initial training is costly, if you look at the ecosystem in, in general and the usage in, in general, um, it's actually pretty efficient for, for everyone to use, use these models compared to previous generations where you had to do a lot of training for each task, each domain, each language, each use case. So that's kind of like a first, first point. Um, and on the second point, uh, I think it's worth remembering that most of these very, very large trainings um, are done by by big tech, right? Or, or very, very large uh, companies uh, with with very big, obviously, funding revenue streams. And so, even even kind of like the multi million dollar training uh, for them is, is is very much kind of like a drop in in the water. Uh, we we all know how expensive like researchers and team members in machine learning are today and so at the, at the end of the day if you if you take that all into account i don't think it's it's much different and the economics are are much different than than before because at the end of the day the benefits of sharing open sourcing your models usually end up much much greater uh, because by sharing your models openly you get more visibility for it, uh, you get the whole ecosystem. We can work on, you know, how do we make sure that uh, we have the right level of control, of accountability. How we can work on systems to make this to mitigate the bias of of these models. You get better researchers, you know, because researchers they want to work at companies where they can contribute to the ecosystem and not just contribute to your to your single company. So these are all kind of like the logics that apply to to science in general, right? And that's that's why science is is based around publishing the papers, and machine learning being this kind of like science driven topic. Uh, the same same logics apply, right? So there's a big kind of like a gap between maybe like the short term financial thinking about models and not open sourcing them versus kind of like the more sustainable long term thinking uh, around that. I like the way you think about this. One thing that's been my mind for, for a long time, ever since I heard the story, is that Hugging Face didn't initially start as a open source hub for machine learning. It started as a chatbot, as, as a lot of people would think about it. So I'm really curious, take us back to 2016, when you decide to start this at the time, chatbot company. What was going to your mind, and then how did that change into what it became become today? Yeah, when we started with uh, with Julien Chaumont and, and Thomas Wolf, hugging face, we were really excited about machine learning. Right, we were like, okay, this is kind of like the future. This is this is super exciting. That's what we want to work on, and we almost kind of like uh, started with the angle uh, being like, okay, what's what's the most challenging thing we could be working on? right now on, on machine learning. And we ended up on this kind of like idea of building kind of like a fun, entertaining, open domain conversational AI. 
uh, you know, what every, everyone has seen in sci-fi, you know, like her, uh, you know, like this, this dream of having a conversational AI who you could talk to about, you know, like the weather by your friends, about romance, about the latest kind of like sports game and, and things like that. And so we were like, oh, that's, that's really challenging. Uh, it looks like nobody is managing really to do it well. Uh, Siri, Alexa, they're very transactional, very productivity driven, not really fun, not really entertaining. All right, let's, let's start with that. And that's what we did. Uh, we had a lot of fun for like uh, almost, almost two years. And we, we, we kind of were lucky, uh, I think, as sometimes uh, startups are, in the fact that to do what we wanted to do initially well, to do like open domain conversational AI, um, we had to think about how to do a lot of different machine learning tasks, right? We wanted to be able to obviously extract information from text. Uh, we wanted to understand the intent from the text. We wanted to understand the sentiment. We wanted to be able to generate text to reply. We wanted to receive like images from the, from the uh, conversation. And so uh, detect kind of like objects and images. And we wanted to handle so many different topics that we needed to handle a lot of different data sets, right? Like a sports data set to talk about sport or weather data set to, to, to talk about weather. And so we end, ended up like um, uh, building this, this platform to handle a lot of different models, a lot of different data sets. And almost kind of like uh, uh, randomly, because we always had this uh, vision of like contributing to the community, we started open sourcing uh, parts of, of that. And just right from the get-go, the interest from, from people was kind of like insane. People started to contribute, open source contributors came in, companies started, started using it. Um, and so we got this kind of like huge adoption validation that kind of like led us to, to think, wow, this is like so much value that we're creating there. Uh, we, we don't really know what it is exactly yet, but there's so much interest from people that there, there must be something. And so in, in, in a matter of a couple of months, we basically went from this kind of like initial thing that we were working on to focusing on, on building a machine learning platform. And we've never looked back. Uh, it, it was probably like the best decision of, of the company's life to, to, to make this transition. And we're super happy about it. And now that's so interesting because it could also be that thanks to the Hugging Face platform that it becomes a lot easier for you or anybody else in the future to build that chatbot that you were targeting, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we, 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 we do have a lot of uh, uh, conversational AI companies using the Hugging Face platform now. Uh, Siri, uh, Alexa are, are using us, uh, for example. Uh, so yeah, maybe, uh, maybe at some point, someone is going to be able to uh, build our initial vision using the Hugging Face platform and, and um, it, it's going to be like a fun, fun cycle for sure. And at the core, of course, is as I understand, part of where it started was the Hugging Face Transformer. Um, and I'm curious, when in 2017, the, the paper came out, the Transformer paper, attention is all you need, um, arguably the, the biggest 
change in AI since the AlexNet ImageNet breakthrough from, from Jeff Hinton and his students. Um, how did you experience that? Like, how, how did you just see that this is actually really important and then decide to implement an open source that model? Yeah. So we were already kind of like excited by, uh, by some kind of like, uh, uh, I, some kind of like things that, uh, built some foundations for, for that, uh, before. Um, and so we were, we were following really closely, uh, what, what was happening there. Uh, for example, uh, Jeremy Howard, uh, Sebastian Ruder. Uh, we're already doing some fun stuff um, on kind of like representation learning, learning there. Um, and so we were really, really close to what was happening. Um, and then when we, when we saw the paper, when we started uh, playing with, with birds, um, we were like really, really uh, uh, mind blown. Right. Uh, and, and, and kind of like, uh, uh, started started building thanks thanks to that, um, and and really quickly just the fact that people started adopting it uh, gave us gave us even more like confidence that it could be could be like uh, massively massively impactful. Now, one of the things that really fascinates me about transformer models, and you, I think, see this closer up. So I'm very curious about, about your perception. Is they seem more general than previous models. Um, and, and we know that the brain is fairly general. If somebody, let's say, is blind, they might use the part of the brain that's usually used for seeing for other things, right? There's this kind of more general purpose fabric somehow in the brain, definitely more general purpose than anything we have today in, in artificial neural nets, but it seems like transformers get a lot closer to that. And I'm curious if you're seeing that in, in the code and how much code sharing is possible now between different problems, even different domains. And yeah. is there still code being shared in, in great detail? Yeah, that's, that's one of the main property of, of transfer learning, right? Which, which is at, at the basis of, of transformer, transformer models. And that's kind of like, yeah, to me, the most, most exciting development in, in machine learning. Uh, because as you said, it, it allows you to uh, generalize to more uh, tasks. Uh, at the beginning, within NLP, within text, but now on most of the other modalities, right? So we're starting to see more and more multimodal models, right? Text plus image. For example, like uh, like Clip and and Dali that that we've seen, uh, but also you know uh, uh, audio plus plus text, uh, and we believe that there's going to be more and more uh, of this differentiation between all the different modalities uh, that is going to get blurrier and blurrier. There's a good good thread from uh, from Andres Karpati explaining how the uh, uh, difference between the different modalities are getting getting slimmer. I, I believe that in three years we won't even talk to different about different modalities. We won't talk about you know like uh, computer vision, NLP, uh, speech. 
we will just talk about transformers and, and transfer learning and, and maybe machine learning in, in general. It won't even make sense to, to differentiate the, the different modalities. Uh, it's just going to be like different kind of like inputs, uh, in a way in the, in, in the models. And that's, that's what allows, um, like different things to happen. Uh, first it allows kind of like more community members in the science, um, community to, uh, collaborate on, on similar topics. So it makes kind of like progress, uh, faster. Uh, and then it allows also companies to use the same kind of abstraction, for example, to use the Hugging Face Hub uh, with different features, different workflows, uh, without having to reinvent the wheel and create completely different systems. So it, it makes it like uh, much, much easier for companies to build a lot of different features using the same, same abstractions. So we've seen a lot of companies, for example, starting with a very simple feature, you know, maybe they start with like information extraction to detect some things in, in some text that they have. Uh, and then they do that well. And because it's the same kind of models to do text classification, they do that next. And then after that, they do kind of like autocomplete. Uh, and then they'll, they'll add some kind of like, uh, image classification features. And so it gives some sort of like, uh, consistency to the way companies also can build machine learning features, which participates in uh, this democratization of, of machine learning for companies, I feel like. So that's, that's the user perspective. Somebody comes and, and um, sometimes leverages, takes advantage of everything available on Hugging Face or pieces available on Hugging Face for their application. Now, one thing that I think also plays a big role is the other way around. If you are a AI researcher developer, if you build a good model, you can put it on Hugging Face and have tremendous impact with your contribution. How did you start building that side of the community and what are some of the exciting things you, you see happening there right now? Yeah, it's been, it's been very organic, right? Uh, at, at Hugging Face, we're very community driven. So the way we build a product is just asking people what they want. And in that case, asking researchers, uh, what, what they want and, and kind of like build that. So initially, you know, what, uh, researchers wanted was just like an easy way to host their weights. Right. And so, so, so we built that. Um, and then, you know, they were like, okay, that's really nice to have our weights hosted uh but now you know i have team members or i have kind of like the public who wants to uh test these these models and who are not maybe you know scientists and and so it's hard for them to run them and so we started building the ability to demo your your models to test your models on these pages uh, for example, with something called Gradio, which is like a machine learning demo uh, uh, tool in, in Python. And then scientists, some scientists were like, okay, that's nice, but how do I uh, communicate about like the biases or the limitations of, of my models? And that's when we started implementing the model cards, right, that have been invented by Meg Mitchell and Dr. Margaret Mitchell, uh, who actually joined us a few, few months later uh, from, from Google for you know researchers to be able to communicate properly about how 
uh, other companies can use or not use not use their models. So it's it's been a very kind of like iterative process like that with with scientists, right? Um, and I encourage, obviously, if there are like some some scientists listening to listening to this and and they're struggling to do some things with their with their models, uh, ju- just kind of like uh, at me, tweet at Hugging Face, you know, to tell tell us like what they're struggling with, and we would be happy uh, to kind of like integrate that, add that as a functionality in in the platform, because that's always how how it's been kind of like uh, working very community driven. Talk about community driven. Uh, I got to ask as, as a reinforcement learning researcher, I saw you recently integrated the decision transformer into the Hugging Face library. Any more general plans in the reinforcement learning direction? Yeah, we're seeing like reinforcement learning as, as a very important domain uh, that we really want to invest more and more in. We're super excited about you know decision transformers, obviously because it's adding kind of like uh, transformers into into the mix, and we're seeing kind of like reinforcement learning being part of more and more of like uh, machine learning workflows, even when it's not the only kind of like machine learning types of of models that are used, but even kind of like in uh, complement uh, in addition to other other models. So it's it's super super exciting to us. We have in the team uh, someone called uh, Tom uh, Simonini, who's been doing like an amazing uh, job on this. He's actually organizing an introduction to reinforcement learning course uh, soon to kind of like uh, uh, explain a little bit some of our initiatives there. So it's it's super super exciting. Uh, we're super bullish on, on reinforcement learning and we plan to do more and more in the in the coming months. Well, I look forward to, to checking out the course and, and pointing more people to it. Um, it's really exciting to see more resources uh, on that front being put together. Yeah. Um, and of course, the other thing that I noticed is that um, I see more vision models emerge because um, I think a year ago, at least I was thinking of Hugging Face as you know, the place for open source, NLP, everything's there. And and then recently, Vision came into the mix also. Curious, what's your, well, Vision on that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, we've, seen, we've seen like a really, really great adoption uh, on speech and vision. Uh, I think now we're seeing uh, 300,000 monthly downloads of uh, speech models. Uh, and over 200,000 monthly downloads of, of vision models on the, on the platform. Uh, so it's been super exciting, especially as transformers, like vision transformers, uh, have started to kind of like beat some state of the art and, and be very successful, uh, on, on these topics. Um, so the idea is to, to continue investing, uh, really heavily on these topics. Uh, we we actually uh, just closed a new round of funding, like a, a Series C of uh, of a hundred million, and and most of it is going to go towards uh, more investments towards computer vision, speech reinforcement learning, but also biology, chemistry. We're starting to see some some usage in these in these other other domains. And what I think in in my mind is even more interesting is the intersection. All of, of all of them, right? So, how can you use, you know, speech with like NLP, with computer vision, 
uh, adding kind of like reinforcement learning in in the mix to do some some alignment. So kind of like really trying to blend all these machine learning domains and see um, how we can do kind of like the traditional tasks better with with better accuracy uh, and and more easily for for researchers and for companies. Uh, but also how you can create create new use cases and solve no, new problems that uh, haven't haven't been solved before. So, well, congratulations on on the recent C round, hundred million dollars. That that's a lot of funding available to to start building a lot of new things. I imagine you're you're also hiring then uh, at this time. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we hiring for like any uh, position that you can think of. We have a little bit of a unusual way to hiring in the sense that uh, we don't really hire on very specific like job positions and job descriptions. Instead, we're kind of like finding really, really smart people who share our values, uh, who are aligned with our culture. And then we bring them in and then we assume that, you know, if they're excited about what we're doing and if, if they're really amazing, uh, they're going to find their way to uh, having an impact uh, almost no matter their their position or like their job job description. So it's it's been really fun. I mean, we went from uh, 30 team members uh, a little bit more than a year ago. Now we're 130 team members. Probably going to end up the year at around around 200 200 team members. It's probably been my my greatest joy of the past uh, 12 months of like scaling this team based on our culture, based on our values. Uh, making sure that we really stick to them and, and we build this organization that is like a little bit different than, than others or, or, or unique. Uh, very, very kind of like a decentralized, very open, very collaborative, very value inspired, value, value driven. Uh, ethics is a very, very important topic for, for us. Uh, so it, it's been really, really fun, uh, personally for me as a CEO to be able to, to scale the team, um, has been really, really amazing. And, and I'm really grateful to be able to, to do that, uh, even more in the future. Thanks to this new round of funding. Yeah. Congratulations again. And uh, it's definitely quite a different approach that you're describing to, to recruiting and hiring where it's not driven by specific positions, but it's driven by values and sheer, I guess, abilities and excitement for people to join in, in the journey. I also noticed that you're actually um, located across multiple cities right now. How, how are you living that life? Where are you spending your time? So we started the company. We were already in, in three, three countries from the get-go because I was at the time in New York. Uh, Julien Chaumont was in, in Paris and Thomas Wolf was, was in the Netherlands. Uh, so it's been fun to have that part of our culture from, from the get go. Uh, now we have uh, a couple of like, uh, bigger offices in, uh, Paris and in New York. Uh, then we have a bunch of smaller offices. Like we have one in, in Palo Alto, for example. We have one in Switzerland. We have one in London. Uh, we have one in, in South of France. And I have a, a small, small one here in, in Miami, Florida, uh, where, where I'm spending most of my time, but also spending a lot of time traveling to the other Hugging Face, Hugging Face location. And also most of the people working at Hugging Face, like over 60% of the team 
uh, are just remote uh, everywhere, all over the world, uh, working remote and then traveling to to the offices to to spend time with the with the team in person. It sounds like you started this remote work before COVID. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We started when I mean we we started remote like in in 20, 2016 and always had this this culture of like uh, uh you know decentralization that's working really well for for remote we have a strong kind of like uh, asynchronous culture uh a strong kind of like uh, uh culture of transparency like most of the things that hugging face are either happening totally in the open so like on, on twitter for example or on massive kind of like uh, slack slack rooms so all, all of these that we started pretty early on the company's journey, uh, they ended up being pretty, pretty useful and pretty helpful when, when COVID hit, uh, and that we had even more constraints, uh, constraints in terms of like, uh, going to an office. Now, I'm actually curious, you mentioned the series C earlier, right? Can you share something about the investors that, uh, led and are part of the series C? Yeah, so we have a mix of our existing investors who we've been working really well, uh, with. Um, you know, some of them are, uh, Lux Capital, uh, Edition, uh, but also, you know, uh, all, all the investors. Uh, so for example, we have X with like, uh, Richard Socher, our, our mutual friends as an investor. And we added, uh, to that, uh, Sequoia, uh, and, and Kotu, uh, which, which are both kind of like, uh, very re- renowned um you know us us investors uh who showed a lot of a lot of conviction to to join us uh and are going to bring uh especially some some expertise around you know open source and community for example sequoia uh they've been the investor at github uh which which is obviously a very big inspiration for us as kind of like a similar platform for typical software to what we're trying to do for, for machine learning. Um, so we, we're super excited about, about that doubling down on what we've been doing on, on the open source, on, on the community, uh, make sure we have enough resources to really focus on, on the long term of, of what we're doing. Um, and really keep investing again on, on the community, on the open source with that. Well, congratulations. I think often with fundraising, a big part is the money. A big part is also bringing investors who really want to support the mission and ideally are very highly reputed themselves. And obviously, you you managed to to check all the boxes in, in your fundraise. Uh, it's amazing. Thank you. So, Clem, I really like the thing you bring up there because very often when I when I talk with people who, let's say, work at OpenAI or Google, who who are two companies who train some of the, of the biggest models. Um, I hear things like, oh, you know, it's, it turns out there are a lot of challenges in scaling up the training of these models. There's a lot of engineering, but also research related challenges that you wouldn't really expect. But then it's, I guess it's seen as uh, private IP to understand how to deal with those challenges, because of course it's natural. They want to make a profit, I guess, and, and have an advantage. Um, but you, your spirit is so different. You're saying, hey, our impact can be much bigger if we actually can somehow run a project that exposes everybody to those challenges and lessons learned and so forth. And so I imagine this this 
paper or report is going is going to be very widely read because until now it's just in a few places where people really see the specific challenges that are encountered when running things at such large scale training for weeks and weeks possibly months to get a model out what does it take to to do that successfully and i'm also curious because i mean since it's going to be the first run you're taking out it i mean it could be that you, you need to try this a few times before it actually succeeds no yeah we already had uh, we the the big science uh, uh team already did a few a few runs so we already have like smaller models um so it's it's really very much kind of like the last run of training that is happening happening now uh it's happening what's also interesting about the project is that it's uh, uh happening thanks to uh, uh inria in france uh and uh, jean zé uh, supercomputer which was which is one of the i think top 10 uh, biggest supercomputers in the in the world um and it's happening as as you might know um uh, most of the uh energy production in france uh is based on nuclear energy uh so it's it's much more uh co2 uh, efficient than in uh, some some other some other countries that's something we we care a lot about at uh hugging face uh, too we have like part of the team someone called uh, sasha Lucioni. Uh, who's working a lot on the environmental impacts of of machine learning? So yeah, it's 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 really interesting to follow 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 the training um, and follow. Uh, uh, you have someone in the team uh, called Stas that you can even follow on Twitter. And each time there's a problem happening, he's going to like tweet about it and and kind of like uh, share uh, on GitHub on Hugging Face. Uh, about what happened and how it got solved. So, like the nitty nitty gritty of the of of the training also is is super interesting, and it hasn't really been seen uh, in the past, except if you are at one of these like big organizations that have trained a lot, large model like that. It's really fascinating to follow. There's even like a, a big science training Twitter uh, accounts that has now i think over 3000 followers that is tweeting about the progress every every day uh, so it's a very like a mesmerizing thing to to follow well i'm going to start following that uh once i'm off this call <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, just to also kind of like answer a little bit uh, the the first part of your of your comments you know, open sourcing and ensuring publicly is really the result of a different mindset. Um, if you start from thinking that the main competitive advantage of companies is not so much the technology that they have at a given point, but more their ability to build technology faster than others. Um, especially on a, such a fast moving domain as machine learning, where you can be like outdated basically in two months, then kind of like open sourcing, open science is actually a mean to that end because by sharing publicly, involving the community, getting contribution for others, attracting the best scientists, 
you actually improve your ability to uh, build technology faster, faster than others. So even I think if you don't have this more like uh, will to contribute to the ecosystem, contribute to the community, I think as, as a company, it's just a smart decision to, to do that because it increases your ability to stay ahead uh, and stay at the cutting edge of what's happening. I think in machine learning, we've seen a lot of companies, um, especially, for example, enterprise AI companies, uh, basically the companies that are doing the most revenue today in, in, in machine learning, who kind of like lost their uh, technology edge and, and, and started not to be able to. And, and it has been a big, big problem for, for them uh, because really, really fast you start working on like older school stuff uh, and, and you get outdated and just your things are starting to work much, uh, much uh, less than, than, you know, more cutting edge stuff. So I think, you know, like open sourcing, open science, contributing to the community is really kind of like the smart way to uh, stay ahead in machine learning, stay close to what's, what's happening and actually build up your capability as a company to build technology faster than others. I really like that view on thing that it's something that's enabling you to move faster because you, you have no choice anymore almost. And it, also it, yeah, it, it force, forces you, right? Because mm -hmm. once you've released, you're just like up to, up to the next thing too. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's very true. Now, one thing I've been curious about for a while is, um, well, I'm, I'm personally uh, a big basketball fan. And I noticed that you have Kevin Durant, one of yeah. the NBA basketball stars on your investor team. So I'm really curious about the story behind that. Yeah, it's a pretty funny story. I'm pretty convinced that, um, you know, being French and growing up not watching the NBA, when I, when I met him, I barely knew who he was. So I, re I really talked to him like, like he was like the, the average, average Joe. And I'm pretty convinced that's a big part why I decided to invest, you know, because I wasn't this big like fanboy being very impressed, very like sweating and stuff. I was like, hey, man, so that's what we're doing. You know, I didn't really care, care too much. And I think in, in some, some way he, he appreciated that. Um, and, and I think it just like, I mean, without putting words in his, in his mouth, I think, I think it was, was, excited about you know like the prospect of working on something very serious and very technical like like machine learning but with like a probably a less serious approach and less kind of like professional approach like borrowing b2b approach uh than than most of the companies right if at the end of the day our name is hugging face you know our logo is an emoji uh and so it's similar to his approach of doing something entertaining like the NBA, but he's very serious about it, you know, but, but, but it's on something not serious. So there's, there's some parallel there. Another funny story is that uh, when he invested playing for the Warriors, so as kind of like a professional duty, I started to root for the Warriors and, and become this huge Warriors fan. I even had my Warriors hat. Uh, you, you can ask people at the time, I was always wearing my Warriors hats, uh, but living in New York. And then two years later, he decides to move to 
to the Nets, literally one block away from where I live, because I was living in Fort Greene, just next to the Barclays Center. And then I was like in a conundrum. I was like, okay, what should I do now? Should I like switch teams? And, and people are going to tell me like, oh, you're switching to the better team. You know, you're not a good fan. Or should I keep rooting for the Warriors while he was playing literally a block away from me, uh, you know, in, in my kind of like, not home team, but kind of like where I was living, the living team. Uh, so at that time, I, I decided, okay, the best uh, answer to this uh, challenge is just to stop following the NBA. <laughs> and so I kind of like uh, stopped, stopped a little bit or, or at least have been following it a bit less than I was before, but it, it, was, uh, it, it was pretty funny to see, see that happening. Yeah, well, what a good story. And um, how do you get connected with him? Who, who made the introduction or did he just reach out? Uh, we got uh, introduced by, uh, by one, of our, one of my favorite angels, uh, Brian Pocconi. A lot of people are calling him a uh, coach because he's been, he's been fantastic for hugging face, especially early stage. He was at uh, SV Angel, who is an investor of, of us. Um, and he introduced me to, to Katie, uh, and to Rich, Rich Clayman, who is his agent working on a fund called uh, 35 Ventures, uh, which, is, which is a f- fantastic fund, uh, by the way. They've done a lot of like, uh, really, really good investments. And so that's how we, we connected and, and, and clicked. What a good story. So, Clem, I think, I think it's obvious to many people and it's been obvious to you for a long time. AI is having a really big impact everywhere in the world and just more and more every year. And as I understand it, you also spend quite a bit of time thinking about AI ethics. Can you say a bit more about that? Yeah, we basically believe that AI and and machine learning is already having positive impact today. If you think about, you know, how it improves search, it it gives access uh, uh, to more knowledge, to, to more people, how it's improving translation, so removing some of the language barriers, how it's like improving moderation, for example, for social platforms that really badly need that. And that there's going to be a lot of other positive use cases that we haven't uh, really figured out, right? And that the community is going to invent and that the builders using machine learning are going to build. So that's why it's important for us. uh, And that's our mission to democratize good machine learning. At the same time, we think there are very practical challenges, uh, ethical challenges posed by uh, machine learning. Things like the, you know, biases uh, that uh, are present in, in these models uh, things like, you know, the presence of like PII in private information in, uh, in data sets or in these models, things like uh, energy consumption uh, of, of these models. So it's really important to be very intentional about that and, and work and invest time and resources on these topics. That's one of the reasons why we brought in the team uh, someone called Dr. Margaret Mitchell was like the co-lead, uh, co-founder and co-lead uh, of the ML ethics team at, at Google in the past. 
and who's one of the uh, most recognized researchers uh, on on these topics uh, to work on things like uh, the data measurement tool, which is a tool to detect, uh, analyze your data sets, uh, and for example, find uh, bias in your in your data set. Um, that's why we've been working a lot on something called uh, uh, model cards, right? Which is a standard way to communicate about limitations, about biases uh, in your models to make sure that people who are going to use these models will do uh, properly with limiting uh, dual use, for example. We just scratching the surface, but uh, we're really excited about this topic. We think it's a very, very important topic. We think every company uh, working on the field, working on machine learning, should think uh, about how they can build um, what Dr. Margaret Mitchell calls uh, value-inspired processes when, when they build machine learning. And that's kind of like uh, the way that we can really... Uh, all as a field in a very collaborative way, in a very open way, uh, make sure that we steer uh, machine learning towards uh, positive impact for, for humanity and for the world. Wow, that's wonderful. And what a wonderful conversation this was, Clem. Um, thank you so much for making the time. Thanks so much for having me.